The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. When we see what we don't see, things can be very challenging, painful, hurtful, confusing, amusing, all sorts of things. The question is, what do I do once I face something like the enormity of oppression, injustice, the isms, like racism, ageism, sexism. So I will use the Brahma Viharas as uh, one thing that I have used. Um, sometimes teaching something out of a book might be interesting, so I just want to share some of the things that I have used. And so we'll start with a familiar one, which is uh, metta, loving kindness, and pairing it a little bit with mudita to give us some energy. So we'll do 10 minutes of... Um, these two things and uh, everything that I share is ways that I have meditated and practiced so beginning with a nice deep breath we'll, we'll hold it and then release it sort of a this cleansing breath to uh, get us all together as a community so breathe in Hold, release, breathe in, hold, release, one last time, breathe in, hold, release. I want you to bring to mind someone or something that is easy to love. The face of a newborn child that you've held in your arms, a puppy, a dog that receives you at the door, a grandma that took care of you, a sunset by the lake. Say the name of that baby or that dog or that lake. For me, it's when my sister took her first steps her giggling, just kind of an inner smile, something that you can hug. Or it could be just the smell of warm toast. That kind aunt or uncle. So once you have this, All that sort of in your heart area and send it to your body. Just that nice kind of energy. <clears throat> An inner hug. Getting that image of that person or object that is just easy to love. Starting with that. Take a couple of breaths as you imagine this. And if nothing comes to mind, no worries. Now from this place in your heart, you're going to be a Meta Spider-Man and just send a cord in front of you. You're going to wish everybody who's in front of you safety. So when I say it, repeat it internally, quietly. 
May you be safe. Send that energy forward. May you be healthy to every being that's in front of you. May you be free from suffering. One more time, sending a cord of metta. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. Now on your right shoulder, it's going to be the cardinal point. You're going to wish everybody to your right. May you be free from harm. May you be free from suffering. May you be happy. Your third cord, sending energy from your left shoulder to everybody that's going to meet this ray of light, right? May your loved ones be happy. May your loved ones be safe. May your loved ones be free from suffering. Can you get in touch again with that object that was easy to love or hug or witness? With that energy taking the back of your clavicle, send a cord to everybody who's back of you. May you be safe. May you be free from harm. May you be at peace. It's a symbolic gesture from the top of your head. May everyone above be happy. May everyone above be free from harm. down to the earth, to the depths, getting rooted. May everyone down below, all the creatures in the seas, mythological creatures, 
May you be safe. May you be free from harm. May you be at peace. Generally in metta, you first say, may I be free, may I be happy. This time we just sent it out, but we first had something in our chest. Now, you know that someone behind you and to the side of you was sending loving kindness, so now receive. Somewhere in the world, there are people sending metta to all living beings. You are a living being. Receive the metta that people right now are sending to you and that they just sent to you. Open up your system and feel a receptivity. How often do we do this? To just sit and be like, there are people who love me who don't even know me and there are people who know me who are thinking about me. Just sit for a while and receive metta from every practitioner, from our sangha. There is a lot of suffering in the world, and there is also joy. In mudita, it's a meditation where you consciously think about the happiness of others. Someone just closed on a house. Somebody just had a beautiful baby. Somebody just got healed. Somebody was able to receive metta. The opposite of envy is taking a moment to acknowledge that in our crazy, crazy planet, there are also moments of joy and that other people experience them. I am happy that you are safe. I am happy that you are free from suffering. I am happy that you are at peace. So you stand with those people that just for a little moment are feeling peace. (coughs) To rejoice in the good fortune of others. To remember the joy of others, because our ancestors got us here. And what's the point of having gone through all of that if their children cannot see the joy in the world? With that, take a deep breath. 
फिलीस है When you are ready, open your eyes. Good evening. Is anyone here for the first time at Common Ground? Be welcome to you. I'm a sub, so if I get in trouble or I mess up, don't hold it. Don't hold it against them. Um, I love, love, love common ground. So I hope you come back. It's a, um, it's a rare community, and I, and it's a, it's a place that I have found has a lot of integrity. So um, I'm happy you found it. How many of you know what I'm going to talk about? Anyone has an idea? Some people. Seeing what you don't see. So um, when I was 17 at the U of M, I got an internship at the diversity office. And that was really the beginning, my introduction to social justice. I'm 44 now, although I look 42. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I, I studied education and art, um, and then I got a postmaster's in social justice education, and so I have a little bit of academic. And I, and I work professionally as a diversity person, and then I have my, my practice. And bringing the two worlds together can be complex and it can be simple, right? So I'm gonna share some of the things of how I've dealt with some of these issues and, and things that I have found helpful. Um, but I might also say things that you don't like, which is okay. Um, my feeling or my intuition is that if you're coming on a Monday night, for many people this is like the first day of work, and it's winter, and you're here, it's like some hardcore Dharma practitioners, right? It's like, so I, I realize that, there's quiet, that, I'm, that I am preaching to perhaps a choir, and that's okay. But once in, someone in Atlanta said to me, the choir needs practice. You know, it's always good to hear things in different ways. And sometimes it's just nice to hear stuff, right? I don't pretend to be able to teach to everyone. Every time I say about diversity, I, you know, I haven't done an assessment of who you are. And so many times when you talk about diversity or social justice issues, people either get really bored. It's like, I haven't heard anything new just went blah, 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 the same thing. Or there's some defensiveness, or people are not ready for it, so it goes over their head, right? And so like I say, like, I'm gonna talk now about white privilege. And if you haven't done any reading on white privilege, it, it actually might harm the work, right? Because if people are still thinking political correctness, so it can be a little bit tricky. Um, so I am going to do something that they do at EBMC, at the East Bay Meditation Center. It's a place that, um, in their mission statement, on their website, says we are a community that deals with diversity and social justice. It's like it's in everywhere you see. You see it everywhere. Kind of like at other places where they say, don't wear perfume. You know, like you go to places. 
we don't like perfume, okay, got it, right? It's very clear, you just see this everywhere. Well, you know, you go to the YWCA, racism is there. You know, like you make these statements. So there's an intentionality about different things. So EBMCs like that is very intentional. And, uh, and they're Dharma-based. So I want you to introduce yourself to somebody that maybe you haven't met and um, um, ask them why they're here. Why are you here tonight? I'm going to give you three minutes for you to switch. Introducing themselves and asking why they're here. Oh, <laughs> this is good. Thank you. I think I might be catching a cold, but other than that, I think I'm okay. I'm not sure. I'm feeling a little... <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Triple Gem, Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. So it's, sometimes it's always nice to have a friend, right? In our busy, busy society, I remember reading that Americans cannot have more than six friends. It's just people don't have time for them, right? So that once you hit six, it's just hard. And even that, it's hard to... People don't talk on the phone even. It's, it's just really difficult. So sometimes making a little connection, um, it's okay. It's good. Um, if you look at diversity work, social justice work, there's the big three, the big eight. But if you look at race, class, and gender, right? Those are really big. Remember one woman said to, uh, you know, in a workshop, 
there is nothing that will affect you more in your life than your gender. It's like, is that true? I had to think, like, from day one. For a lot of the world, that's a true statement. There is nothing that will affect you more in your lifetime than your gender. It could be transgender, intersex, any, you know. I was like, okay, that's a big one. Race in this country, where people, you know, live being told lies, misinformation, uh, ignoring things, too painful. So sometimes we're like, let's talk about class so that we ignore race. And sometimes, let's talk about race so that we ignore class. Because the have and the have-nots is what our species does. We separate so that I get your stuff, your resources. And so I'm going to specifically focus on the United States, a little bit about Minnesota, because out of all the places I've lived, seven countries, I'm from El Salvador, Minnesota is where I've spent the most time. Although I live in San Francisco. Because oppression happens in every country and in every time in history. But this particular empire at this particular time has very specific dynamics that I want to address a little bit and how they intersect with the Dharma and do that little dance. So once you have race, class, and gender, and then let's say ageism, religious oppression, language, ability, disability, you know, you keep going down the list. See if you can, as umbrella terms, put it the way the Buddha did it. Greed, hatred, delusion. So there are three umbrellas. Avarice, that greed, I want stuff. How much of the stuff that happens with oppression is because of greed? Think about it, right? And then there's the other one, the ignorance. There's pretend ignorance. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know the Holocaust was happening. I didn't know that about American history, right? How much of it is ignorance and also what I, what I call convenient ignorance? The Buddha put that as one. So we now we have greed. And then the other one is anger, right? You know, that it, it's this reaction. You are a foreigner, an illegal immigrant, a weak woman, a cripple, a faggot, whatever. There's a hatred there. What in many cultures they call evil, even. It exists in our nature. So that's what the Buddha said. Greed, hatred, and delusion. In the paintings, you see a, a rooster biting the tail of a snake biting the tail of a pig. So for many centuries, people have talked about this. This is our lot as a species. Greed, hatred, and delusion. Now, the Buddha said to combat those things, then you have greed, you have dana. Combat that with generosity. Right? When you have anger, then you have metta. Combat it with loving-kindness. Very nonviolent, right? You don't combat anger with anger. Give it loving kindness. And then wisdom, which is the hardest one. Like, what does that mean, right? But you bring ignorance, bring wisdom. So that's it. That's the answer. <laughs> Talk is over. Let's go home.
Just get wise, generous, and loving. End of story. It's not the end of story because sometimes in religious community you can have um, spiritual bypass. I need my chakras aligned. I need my safu to be just the right way and the temperature and so self-obsessed with my spirituality that I cannot look at the oppression of the world. Now, in our busy lives, this is, this is what's tricky as well, is that people are worried about their mortgage, their kids, their body falling apart. When am I going to have time to fight racism in Minneapolis? That's not a priority. If it's not affecting my kids, I, my, my plate is so full, when am I going to look at sexism and homophobia? It's a real question. I mean, it's just a real question of like, how, my, how much can I do? Minneapolis and Atlanta give tons of money to charity. So we have a lot of very generous people, right? The Twin Cities metropolitan area and the suburbs, highly educated people. Once you get out over there, you have Michelle Bachman over here. <laughs> you know, she got elected in this state. Politically, we're really weird. We, right? Minnesota is a really weird state. You have the Jesse Venturas and the Paul Wellstone and, you know, like really interesting characters. So you, you, you're in this world of politics. And so how do you bring in a spiritual practice when it says the world is in need? And now I have these three things. Now I've got to be generous and now I've got to be wise. And how do I do it? Okay. It's very tricky. So just to share with you what some of the ways that, that I do it, um, that meditation that we started with loving kindness, very powerful to give yourself energy. You know, to really say, when I walk to the train, um, all of, last year I was doing walking meditation to walk from my apartment to the train. And there are certain strangers that sometimes I see now, you know, once every week, once every two weeks, and I give them names like, Woman with the funky boots, may you be at peace. <laughs> you know? Guy with the funky tattoo, may you be at peace. Like, everything's funky in my head. But, you know, I just do this, right? Like, just going to the train. And, that, and that, that's helpful. Because it's very depressing once you look at the things that are happening. I also look at the fact that, as a species, we've been very successful. 6.5 billion of us? So something is working. There's enough health care and enough food and enough shelter for a lot of us to reproduce. And so then I remember the animals whose houses have been sacrificed. Right? It can be so depressing. It's like El Salvador, where I'm from, there's no parks left. There's no deer, there's no cougar. I mean, all the animals are dead. We have a few birds left. It's just the reality. You know, where my dad lives, where my sisters live, they're dealing with gangs, they're dealing with... So you have this heavy suffering stuff. And if you want to become, you know, a fighter for social justice, you can become one of those self-righteous, annoying people if you're not careful. And that's where the wisdom has to come in. Have any of you met one of those unpeaceful peace characters? It can be scary sometimes. Like, I'm so peaceful. 
we're going to do um, our second meditation of doing the Brahma Viharas. So the Brahma Viharas of, of loving kindness and mudita, and now we move to to compassion meditation. <clears throat> I did this for a couple of years, and um, it took me a while to get out of the heaviness. And what I what I finally understood was that as I brought in the suffering of the world, have that give me energy, and it kind of felt in the belly, give me energy to be somebody with integrity. I'm not saying I am. So you know that, like that's my hope, right? To be somebody with integrity. And I've never shared this with anyone, but one of the meditations I used to do was for the child that was being raped at this moment. So right now, in all of the world, in 6.5 billion people, there's a really good chance there's a child being raped right now. And I remember I would just sit and I'd be like, I am with you. I am with you. I am not forgetting you. I am with you. It's a prayer. You know, in, in, Buddhist, in Buddhist worlds, prayer and God and these words are like, ah, scary word. I'm not scared of the word prayer, you know, but just to sit with the suffering of the world. And just how I would do metta, thinking of my little sister, like, oh, come, you know, like that little, that loving energy was the same energy of thinking of a specific suffering and just say, I am your ally right now. Right? So when I was in the monastery, I was really very intentional of, of trying, attempting to be an ally to the nuns. Because it was this clash between Thailand and the, and, and the UK, where I was in England, and saying, you know, I can't claim to be a you know, super feminist or whatever, but may I be your ally? Just you know, sit with the nuns and you know try to be of service, because you don't want to be a savior. And this is what this is what sometimes happens in rich countries. Like you want to go and save. So we're going to do a little bit of compassion meditation now. Okay, it's also what I call ally meditation. All of us right now have enough privilege because we have transportation and time to come in here and sit. So there's somebody out there. And it's not about, oh, there's starving people in the country of Africa. Because right? Africa is just one country. Okay? Eat your peas, because, you know, that kind of, it's not that. There's a difference. Because you see the full humanity of that other person that's suffering. So I live in a very expensive place, San Francisco. Rent out my room at, you know, one of my extra rooms at Airbnb, I was telling Mark. I was, you know, over $3,000 a month for rent for a little place, right? I mean, it's just crazy, San Francisco. And right across my street, homeless person living in cardboard. It's just the world we live in. So I sit, you know, and, I, and I'm just like, I go to your suffering. You know, I will never know it, but I'm going to sit with you as an equal, as an ally. So I'm going to ask you to think about something. Whether it's the whales, I've heard some of the whales are now coming back, southern seas. Someone that's suffering, and to sit with their pain,
And, all, and because it's easy, because all of us feel pain, is the universal, right? The Buddha said, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. Very simple. The difference between metta and I think in compassion is that it's like you're holding the hand of that which is suffering. Many traditions say there's no difference between compassion and wisdom. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Think of an issue that you used to care about, that you currently care about. Could even be already an organization that you volunteer. Bring that specific suffering to mind and sit with it and add strength to it. What I mean by adding strength is that You are an ally and you're supporting this being or this cause. And as you imagine that, say, I am with you. I aspire to be of service to you. You are not alone. I am with you. Make me an instrument of your peace. You are strong. Don't get lost in sadness, preoccupations, or worry. You are sending your strength to those who need it. I am with you. I am in solidarity with you. Make me an instrument of your peace.
take a deep breath. This is a statement as a community as we sit right now. Sitting in solidarity with every person who's experiencing racism right now. Just breathe in. In solidarity, sitting here with everybody who is experiencing sexism. So many girls and women around our planet who suffer gender oppression and our transgender brothers and sisters. sitting in compassionate solidarity with those who experience homophobia at this very second. Meditation of compassion to all those who suffer because of their age, our teenagers and our elders. For those who suffer because of their disabilities, seen and unseen. For those who suffer because of the religion they practice, the language they speak. Sitting in solidarity with the poor, the working poor who are just trying to get some bread. May this act of solidarity give us strength to not be superficial people so that we may be happy people knowing where our priorities are and knowing how to live a life of generosity, wisdom, and loving kindness. Roll your shoulders one way. Roll your shoulders the other way. Hagan estrellitas, which means make little stars. It's my second grade. Send blood. I work with teenagers. and Sometimes it's doing this or giving yourself a hug. Gives nice little messages to your brain. So check in either with the same person. Uh, say your name. Check in. Three-minute check-in. What's coming up for you? Are you ready to leave? You could sneak out if you need to. What's coming up for you right now?
take about three minutes. Share your name, share what's coming up. Thank you for coming. It's nice to have your nice, supportive, grounding presence. How are things going with you? Very exciting. Yeah? Yeah. And you went on a trip to Ethiopia. Last time I saw you, you were, you were going. How did that go? It was really good. It was joyful and painful. Mm. And I want to go back. <laughs> So alive for them. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I know it won't be easy, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Bangladesh and also um, is it the is it Mauritius or what's the another island that is in the same boat where or the Seychelles? But there's one. Yeah, there's one that they know already, like it's happening really soon. Yeah, I think you got the name right. It could be, yeah. How am I doing? How are you doing? Right now. doing really well. This is a really good way to talk with this community. Okay. teaching um, teenagers in Oakland art. I teach her at a small charter school. So, yeah, they keep me on my toes.
Sometimes it's good to know what's going on in the room, so I want three people to share what you heard. What did people share with you so that you can do kind of like a mini tiny sharing? So one person on this side, one person on this side. How about this side? Yes. What did you hear? Thank you. So we've got the middle. What did you hear? Yeah. Were you able to hear? Okay, thank you. Somebody on this side? Was that a question or, or let me understand, like how is sitting, that was a question or a comment? Right, right. So many times when, um, when I've been asked in my life to talk about this, one of the questions as a presenter that I've had is what surface do I want to scratch? Right? You know, like I, I taught a class for teachers at St. Thomas. And after the semester, I felt like, oh my goodness, I just scratched the surface of the surface. Because it can just seem like such an enormous topic, right? Oppression in the big six, and what do you do? And, when... and I've been interested in the places that I've noticed many times that people will go when presented with these issues. Okay. So some of you knew that this was going to be kind of a social justice thing. Maybe some people didn't know, but now you're here, and you haven't left. So you're still here. And so... One of the places is, it's so overwhelming, I can't even hear about it. Now, the word can't is interesting to me. When we were at Amravati, we worked with a psychotherapist that was working with the monks, trying to deal with the, a lot of these issues with gender and stuff. 
She spent her life working with the sons and daughters of Nazi officers, sitting in the same room with the sons and daughters of Holocaust survivors, where they would hear with each other, you know, a, a Nazi officer kid saying, when I was a kid, I wanted to kill myself to give the life to somebody that my dad took, right? So that was her life work. And she used to say, stop saying I can't. Say, I don't want to. You can't fly. You can't breathe underwater without equipment in an airplane. Those are the things you cannot do. But be really clear about, I can't tell my mom that. Yes, you can. You open your mouth and you tell your mom that. (laughs) I can't quit my job. Yes, you can. You say two words, I quit. (laughs) Right? I don't want my children to be hungry for a while. I don't want to feel insecurity. I don't want to lose my house. I don't say I don't want to and empower yourself. Stop saying I can't. That was really helpful for me. Right? So one of the places is I'm too overwhelmed. That can happen. So how do you deal with that? That's one place I've noticed. The other one is just the honest one, like I don't really care. They're really oppressive. I, I looked at a PBS special on Native Americans a long time ago. And there was this kind of rancher guy saying, they are conquered people. They need to get used to it. We conquer them. Shut up. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, because you're not doing any crazy making. No Minnesota nice. I know where I stand with you at this very moment. No microaggressions. I know where you're at. Thank you. Do you understand that people that are in oppression much rather have that? Because at least they know. How many times have I experienced, like, did I just experience that? In Minnesota, people of color have this experience of being the only ones in the room so many times. Sometimes it's like, that just happened to me? Like, I even now, I experience this of like, I, I, I don't know what to say. Did, I, did you just say that? But in Oakland, where I work, people are like, what I call it, they're punchy. So I'm, I'm starting to become like that too. I'm like, oh, hold on a second. You don't get to say that to me and go home and be peaceful. Because I get to go home and think about it all night, and you just get to go home. So sometimes for those people, I'm, I'm beginning now to find my voice and challenge. Now, for me, 100%, not 99% of parties that I go to in, in Minnesota, people where are you from? And people ask in different ways. Like, you're kind of a foreigner. Where are you from? Well, you know, Americans ask, so what do you do? I'm smelling your class. Because in America, there's no class. It's fascinating in England, right? When I, was, I went to England as an, as an exchange student before I was a monk. And in my linguistics class, we had to listen to accents to figure out their class. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I, what are you talking about? And they were so, there's royalty, there's nobility, there's the upper classes. And so the Queen's English or somebody from, you know, Newcastle, working class. So how do we smell each other? Where are you from? What do you do? 
So you have that. There's the overwhelmed. There's the people that are just fixed. I'm like, so I've got privilege, so what? That's a minority because the other place where people go to is, I'm not racist. I would say stop saying that. If you're a white person, just stop it. No, seriously. (laughs) Because we breathe racism. The United States of America was created by white people for white people. Many white people have never heard that simple true statement. The United States of America was created for white people by white people. Did you know that? When I grew up in El Salvador, the war was at its height. And the United States was referred to as an empire. I was in a Jesuit school with Jesuit brothers from Spain that had decided to go to a Jesuit school in the middle of a war in a third world country. They were very interesting men who shaped the way I looked at things. I understand Catholicism because of them. And a very little conflict with Catholicism because the mystics are amazing. (laughs) Plus the Virgin Mary is great. Right? Jewish girl becomes the queen of heaven. It's like, amazing. Amazing. She's got all these outfits, appears in a tortilla. Anyway, sorry, getting out of it. Let's go back, let's go back. Um, so you have to see, you have to see that, right? All of this oppression, but when I was hearing about the empire, think about the Egyptian empire, the Greek empire, the Inca empire, the Aztec empire. You have a center and you, com- you gobble up land. Most Americans don't know the history of Hawaii. Why is Hawaii part of the United States? I was in Austin looking at the propaganda, why Texas is a state. It was astonishing to me. I'm like, really? This is how you're going to tell history? <laughs> Minneapolis is the place that has the most Native Americans of any urban area in the United States. How many white people have had Native American in their homes? When I was in South Africa sitting at Mari's house, Mari lives in Guguletu, next to Cape Town, which is the San Francisco of South Africa, gorgeous town. And Guguletu has a partnership with Minneapolis, open arms and all of this. And she said, I've had so many people from Minnesota in my house, I've never had a white South African in my house. And so the Twin Cities is very segregated. So we're living in segregation, we're living in a racist society, and yet people just give themselves the title very easily, saying, I'm not a racist. And sometimes there's a a reason. I adopted Korean kids. I'm dating a Mexican woman. My grandma's was, I prayed to a black saint. How could I possibly be racist? St. Martin of Porus. And yet... You know, in El Salvador, we grew up with a lot of racism. Black people were not legally allowed to enter. And so most Americans do not know the history. You know, Jim Crow is somebody that, you know, the Jim Crow laws, a lot of people know about. But many people don't. And now there's a book, The New Jim Crow Law, the the prison system in this country. So radically racist, right? And so is it ignorance or is it the convenience of ignorance? 
You know, if you're living in a place that has the most Somalis out of Somalia, and you've never talked to one, there's an opportunity. And then whenever you try to do something, you're in a place where you can make mistakes. And that's the third circle now. I'm fearful. I don't know what to do. Because now in San Francisco, yeah, let's go to the mission where the Latino side, they gentrify, they want to be in a cool place, and they push everybody out. So much talk right now about gentrification in San Francisco. There are more dogs than children in the city now because families cannot afford to live in San Francisco. Right? The Chinese are leaving Chinatown. All the artists, writers, dancers, drag queens have left. The city's changing. But some of the white people are like, hey, I want to be here. You know, I want to be with the diversity. And so the thing is, you know, white people have to be careful and reflective. And this is where meditation and the Dharma can help. Hey, I'm coming here to save you. Hey, I'm going to tell you what to do now. I'm going to give you this, the noble oblige. All of those things can come out of ignorance, can come out of, you know, good intentions. But sometimes making that mistake is how you learn. And it's tricky. I went to Hmong New Year here, fantastic. I was thinking, wow, how come, you know, more people don't come to this huge Hmong Year? And I was thinking, you know, if a lot of Minnesotans start going to Hmong Year, they kind of ruin it for them. So I'm like, <laughs> maybe they shouldn't come. Like Dia de los Muertos in Oakland, you know, some people saying, stop colonizing Day of the Dead. There's some white 20-somethings, you know, putting the mask of the Day of the Dead, and hey, let's have a party, or let's make it into a sale. If you have to have a holiday, we have to sell mattresses at least. And so, you know, what are the places, one of the places that you can go to is a true, honest desire to be an ally. And so that YouTube white privilege, put white privilege into YouTube. Know, so that you don't expect people that are experiencing the oppression to educate you. Now, please understand, I know it's the choir, right? You're here, and, it, and I'm, I'm not trying to yell at you. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be condescending. But I also don't want to waste my time here. It's an opportunity to talk honestly and, and get real, right? And women are still getting raped. It's just the reality. So, the other one, the overwhelm, it's not the overwhelm, but really it's, it's a kind of busyness, what I call the, that, that plate is so full. What I do, you know, my body feels tired after work. You don't like my work. How am I going to worry about the whales or homophobia? You know, that kind of tiredness. And so trying to figure out a way to turn it around, to be in that space where you're not adding stuff, but you're doing it. So I'm going to give you an example of what I'm doing right now in my life so I can share it with you. This is what I'm doing. So I love to draw. I'm an art teacher, but I don't have a lot of time. And so as an encouragement, I put on Facebook, hey, I need 25 ideas for my sketchbook. The first 25 people to post to tell me what to draw, I will draw it. You will be the first one to have first dibs on buying this thing. 
whatever you buy, that donation is going to go to Amnesty International. I find it insane that Amnesty International still exists. Our species are still torturing. Now, I grew up in a place where torture was very day-to-day. -day. You know, I was a kid in fifth grade. I had been sent to Guatemala because the war had gotten so bad. And I heard a kid mention a specific kind of torture. It was physical, but what really struck me was the psychological aspect of the torture. I will not share it with you. It's not necessary. Awful. But see, now <laughs> I have this list of 25 things. Chickens, a mandala, um, the embodiment of spirit with, like, it was like this long kind of like whatever. And then the other one is like, just draw a tropical scene, you know. And so now this is a challenge, and I'm really enjoying it. I already finished my first one. You know, I posted it online, and this guy was like, oh, it's so beautiful. I'm trying, oh, got a compliment. But the end of it is that I'm giving a donation for Amnesty International. Maybe I'll get some copy paper with it. But it's helping me, you know. And they say it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Which I love that about Amnesty, that they say that. It's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And I want you to go crazy, right? Trying to figure out all these things, how to fix it, how do you fix it? How do you fix it? Um, and so I think what, what I'm talking about, these places that one can go to when thinking about them, is to, again, think about what is it that I can do or cannot or stop doing? Because complacency is very easy in this bubble that we're in. Right? Hunger Games is out right now. For those of you that know that movie, we're living at the Capitol. If you know those movies. We, as people living in this current situation, are taking resources from the planet at a larger rate. And so then I worry about my garden, or I worry about my thing, while there are people who are suffering. And so another place that I've seen people go to is guilt. White guilt, rich guilt, American guilt. Not very useful. Just got to get over it. Because all of these places sometimes, you know, if you're not in this place where is the ally, and one friend of mine told me this. It's like, oh, I just feel guilty, so I just don't bother. And so they have the useful uh, tendency to then stop you from challenging yourself. Another place you can go is sadness and anger. And that leads you to sometimes that self-righteousness, a righteous indignation that can be really annoying to other people. I always used to say, be careful with a, right, a righteous indignant uh, vegetarian. Dangerous. I was a vegetarian for 20 years. And then I just stopped the label. I was in Kenya and somebody offered, you know, they had killed a goat. 
And I was like, you know, it's okay to have this goat. So now I just say, in time of feasting, in time of fasting, I'm not a vegetarian, and I, I don't really cook animals. But somehow the label just wasn't useful to me anymore. Because I found it that, you know, my tendency has been to be an arrogant person. So I find humility very interesting. And I really admire humility. And my, my mother doesn't like the word because she grew up with a different kind of set of nuns. And so she thought humility was kind of like being down. And to me, humility is fully knowing yourself. And not adding anything else. And when I've met humble people, there's this groundedness and this beauty about them that I just adore. Right? Like the Dalai Lama, how many you know, best-selling books does he have and how many languages have his books been around? But he doesn't brag about it. Hey, my last 17 books, all these, you know, that's not his deal. And yet in California, oh my God, there's so many people that want to be Dharma teachers. I'm telling you. They want to tell you their spiritual resume. So that's why I'm kind of annoying. I'm, I'm getting over it. But with Shelly, it's like, can you send me your bio? I'm like, I don't like spiritual resumes. Because that's a place where you can go again, you know, like I'm so spiritual. So I'm mentioning these places because if you find yourself going into them, the place is not to get lost in the sadness, the anger, the whatever, or challenge your indifference. And just kind of like curiosity is beautiful because it gives you energy. And if you can bring that, how can I, as a male, a curiosity, how can as a male be an ally to women? That's an interesting question. Because women don't want to be saved. And I don't do, I do not do the noble savage thing. That women are beautiful. If mothers rule the world, I'm like, oh, I know Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Great hatred and delusion happens to black people and women and gay people. And every human being has great hatred and delusion. I get that. But really, to be like, you know, people are suffering. And so, yeah, sometimes, as you know, like the Twin Cities, there's a lot of donations. There's a lot of vigils that happen in the Twin Cities. In Oakland, it's more like protests. It's going to rob this. And they talk about decolonizing. Most Americans don't realize that colonialism is alive and well. But in Oakland, it's really interesting. Big murals, decolonize your mind. So if you think of the United States as having colonies and the people that are living in a system of colonization, right? where you have this prison system, where you have these laws, where you have these attitudes, that are systems of oppression, how do you challenge those systems of oppression? How do you do your little bit? And then that little bit can turn into bigger bits. So we're going to move on to our last meditation of the day. I apologized if the surface that I scratched is not the particular surface that you needed scratched at this very moment in your life. But, you know, that, that I think it was Rilke, you know, the thing about living with the questions, 
And that's the way I've, I've been able to survive. You know, my brother took his life. Some people choose to do that. You know, I survived this war and this crazy, you know, coming to this country and being a foreigner, blah, blah, blah. He didn't. And that's a spot that people can go to. It's so hopeless. We're this tiny little planet in this tiny little galaxy. What is it all for anyway? The dinosaurs didn't make it. We're not going to make it. We can go into this place of nihilism. Ajahn Sumedho, my teacher, always used to say that Buddhism is not this dry nihilism philosophy. It's dry. There's no God. There's no soul. It's not like that. So equanimity... The hardest one to understand, I think, of the Brahma Viharas. Because loving kindness, you know, yeah. Joy with others, yeah. Compassion, eh, kind of hard. But what is this equanimity thing? Really? I mean, it's not a word that most people use in their daily language. Were you equanimous today? <laughs> right? It's not indifference. Equanimous. Again, what's the curiosity? How, how do I experience that? There's these waves of oppression and problems, and then my own things. This body. In my ordination ceremony, they give you the first teaching. It is a ceremonial teaching. And they say, repeat after me. Naka, naka. Tacho, tacho. Danta, danta. And when you look at the translation... Hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin. Like, how is that a teaching? The first teaching of a monk is the body. Think how many systems of oppression would fall away if we didn't have a body. It is the color of my skin that somebody might not like. Maybe the size that somebody might not like. The stature. Who this body is attracted to. The age of this body. The gender of this body. So many times all the violence that we get is because of this body. To reflect upon it that we are embodied beings. We're not devas. We're not angels. So one way to go into equanimity is also like, how is my body receiving this? And be with it. That's the technique of equanimity is, without changing it, okay, how am I receiving this? So that's one way. And the, the other way is without even calling it, when you just sit and there's no meditation object, and you see the way things are, and you sit with the way things are, which is a treasure because if you think of somebody like Nelson Mandela who had to sit in jail for so long, he just sat there, right? And what an example he was to the world. I also said to people, what, what, you know, what do Mandela and Gandhi have in common? They're both lawyers. Well, don't think about that. 
They were both politicians. And so even politicians and lawyers can have a really positive, you know. So we're just going to sit. Because generally, sit for 30 minutes, and I just decided to do about 10 minutes each to bring again this kind of feeling, you know, a feeling of the Brahma Viharas are a good way for me that have helped me to deal with the wheels of oppression. When I am hurt. So last week, I, I have beautiful, beautiful students. I love my students. Inner city, 80% in poverty, newly immigrants, nobody has gone to college. And I've never had anything like this happen to me in three years. But last week, I turned my board, it has double-sided, and somebody had written, Nils is a fag, like 10 times, all over. So I sent it to the staff. I'm like, um, I usually come out, you know, really early on this year. I didn't, and this happened with a kid. I just got all this pouring of support and love, you know, like, oh, Nils, blah, blah, blah. And we found the kid, and now we're doing a re restorative justice thing with the kid. But when that happened, I noticed my body. Something happened, right? Like, whoa, this hasn't happened in a while. I got, it, I got my first homophobic comment when I was in second grade. So I'm used to it. And even then, as a child, I remember, like, you're stupid. <laughs> really, I don't know why or where I got this from, but I'm like, you're really stupid for thinking that. It's not my problem. It's yours. I'm not saying I didn't suffer about it. But I do remember feeling superior. So. <laughs> There you go. But you know, but I, I put it into work. So this happened last week in my life. And I'm like, okay, where's my body at? Am I feeling anger? Am I feeling fear? Am I feeling hurt? What am I, what am I feeling? What am I, you know? And then sit with it with equanimity. And then I can move on to my day to teach my other kids. So it's a daily, it's a, it's a thing that gives me strength. And so, and I know the kid that did it and, and, um, and I want to help this kid sort of see, you know, that the power that some things can, something like that, you know, how hurtful that can be. Okay. So we're just going to sit for about 10 minutes. Then I'll open it up for questions and comments. Thank you for listening.
accepting is not the same as condoning. Accepting is not the same as liking. Recognizing, being with, recognizing, being with racism. Look at racism in the face and say, I see you. Stay there. Looking in the face of sexism. Recognize it. I see you. To classism, to ableism, to every form of oppression and injustice. We see you. And I stand with equanimity and I am strong. And collectively with our strength can work with a world that has suffering and that it has impermanence. May all beings be at peace. The last time you're going to share with your partner or with a new partner, remember to say your name if you haven't already. What is the question right now that you have, if you have any? What's the question in your heart? Is there something unresolved? or It's also a chance to say, did he really say that? Is that what he said? Do you think that's what he meant? Just kind of check in, you know, seeing what you cannot see. I was telling my mindfulness group, my teenagers, just do the window of the self. I don't know how many of you have seen that. This quadrant is what I know about myself and what everybody knows about myself. My daily life, what I'm wearing, my name, how I present myself, what I say. This is quadrant. It's the one that I only know about that. My secrets, my private life, how I use my toilet paper. Nobody needs to know that, right? This is the ones that other people know and I don't know. My blind spots. That's why we need a sangha. Maybe I have a tick where I tend to do something with my hands when I speak. Or maybe cruelty comes out or vanity comes out. And then this quadrant is the one that I don't know and nobody knows. My unconscious mind. Why do I dream what I dream? What is my karma? All that stuff. So meditation helps all four. 
pretty cool. Sometimes you meditate and Thailand used to say, that's when the demons come and collect their debt. If you're not meditating, things don't come up. And also when you start to work with social justice, it's challenging. Not, you know, otherwise everybody would be doing it. So check in with a person. You could switch persons if you want. Where are you sitting now? That these kind of topics have been scratched. What questions do you have? I'll give you about three to five minutes. I'm wondering if there's anybody who would either like to share, you know, I, like, I get this feeling like, oh, it'd be nice to eavesdrop in every conversation. So like, what, what, you know? Sometimes it's good to um, um, see what's in the room. Many times when something is in the room in this side, it's also over here. So you can either share um, if you want some clarification or maybe you want to ask me something. I'm also um, happy to do that. Just wondering if anybody either has a question or just wants to share sort of what what's in the room. Yeah. Can everybody hear? No. Okay, maybe a little bit. Okay. So. How does one respond when you encounter one of the isms? And. Yeah, even if it's not directly at you. Yeah, and many times that happens in speech, right? Like you go to Thanksgiving and Uncle Jimmy just said something really horrible. And that's where, again, where you get accused of being PC. And political correctness is not a term that anybody who's in social justice will use. It's not politically correct to say politically correct. <laughs> right? So sometimes what I, I was telling my teacher students, um, oh, I hate political correctness. How about if you say accurate and respectful? I hate being accurate and respectful. <laughs> Why? So she doesn't want to be called a chick. What's Maybe she wants to be called a lady or a woman or her name. Oh, the Redskins. game. So politically correct. You know, like this thing about political correctness has been used. It's like, what is wrong? Being accurate and respectful. Why is that a big deal when it comes to speech? So intersex people don't want to be called hermaphrodites. Illegal aliens. You know, in Oakland, people still remember when that was Mexico. The Peralta Hacienda is where my school was. The empire moved. They have never moved. They are undocumented workers. So what do you do? What I tend to do is, again, where's my body feeling it if it's attacked at me? Because anger, by definition, is a response. And so when you go, anger is a reaction. There is the object of anger, 
understand. Paticca Samuppada, in the teaching of the Buddha, the second noble truth. So remember, I, I live my life by the first discourse of the Buddha. Everything, when I need to go, Google first discourse of the Buddha. You might like it. You may not. But for me, it's how I view my life. So it's a really interesting question because it can happen. And sometimes I say nothing. Sometimes I don't have the energy. Sometimes it's not worth it. You know? So it's... Uh, but again, sometimes now I'm beginning, just beginning to get the strength. There's something about Minnesota. Being a person of color in Minnesota is tough. And when I went to my first people of color retreat at Spirit Rock, the second time, two sits, I just cried and cried and cried. And I didn't know why. But this was this healing happening. All those microaggressions, right? Of living in a place where you get used to it. The chameleon effect where I have to change so many times who I am. And because I came here when I was 12, I remember when the first person said, oh yeah, culturally you're white. You know, what is, what is that? And how true is that? That my speech is middle class whiteness with a little bit of an accent. And so that other Latinos don't recognize me. When I was working at Blake, Benil St. Margaret's, at some of the top schools as a diversity director, and that rich black kid, I'm like, I'm too black to be here, and I'm too white for the black community in Minneapolis. With that immigrant kid, I'm not Laotian, but I'm too Laotian at this school. So I have no community, I have no mirrors, I have no one like me. And then on top of it, you experience one of the isms, right? It's exhausting. Sometimes as people of color, as women, or people with disabilities, you're just fighting and day in and day out, and you get a rough skin if you survive, and you, gotta, you, gotta, you have got to celebrate your resiliency. Because you're still standing, and what's called encapsulated marginality is this thing of surviving in a world where you're the other. And people are condescending without wanting to. Can I touch your hair? You know, there's that stuff. It's kind of stupid. But there's the larger things that people don't recognize that we live in an empire or that we live in a world like that. So. I went, it was a long answer, sorry. <laughs> It, it triggered some stuff for me because it's a very, very alive question for many, many people, for most people, right? Especially going to be an ally, and you are there at the Thanksgiving table. And, okay, maybe it's not the time. You know? Anything else? Yeah. Oh, so you like to ask easy questions, huh? <laughs> you just went there. One of the biggest challenges, right? That's why, you know, many times um, when people do the, you know, this kind of work, um, there's a, a self-assessment that can be helpful. And how do you do that as an organization? Because what happens, you know, if you're in a trusted group of people, you get to know each other and you build trust little by little, but many times you don't have that luxury. 
you know, to be able, because sometimes in the schools that I was in, you know, we would work with people and talk about, okay, these are some stages that people go through. Where are we as an organization? And now we can talk because then you can target the topics and the timing where you're going to, to do something, right? And so <clears throat> many times if you want to do this work with schools, you know, with children or with people that have never worked, um, sometimes it's best not to start with racism, for example. You start with sexism because we all experience gender. And so sometimes there's a little bit more safety in talking about sexism. Because classism and racism can be more explosive. We've had more decades of talking about the oppression of women and things like that, where people have a little bit more of an understanding and more of an acceptance that, yeah, women are not as dumb as people thought a century ago. Scientifically, look, their brain is smaller. Obviously, they're dumber. People said this. The word moron is a scientific term. Your IQ is this, you are a moron. That was the title. That's where that word comes from. So sometimes talking about disability, right? So having a feel of where your group is at might be good, right? To be the safety and maybe mini goals. So I'm, it's very, very, very difficult for me to answer that question in many ways because I know exactly how difficult it is. But I, what I found um, useful as well is sometimes asking the question is, what's going to be different? What is it that we're hoping for? For example, common ground is quite different from when I first encountered common ground. There's all these groups now, right? That is a difference. So sometimes I say about, you know, what decorations do you have? You know, so sometimes it's something as simple as like, yeah, you, you know, you have something that represents people. And so, you know, asking the group like, do we have a goal? What are we talking about? What do we want to be different? So one of the things I said at this, at this Santa Cruz thing is like, stop saying that you're a welcoming community. That's a high standard. Say we strive to be a safe community. That's quite accurate. So I'm sorry I don't have quick answers for it, but um, it's a crucially important question. You know, how do you create the safety and how do you create the challenging thing so that you're getting real? Otherwise, we're wasting our time. I don't want to waste my time. I could be watching TV, reading a nice book. I'm learning guitar. Seriously, my homework, I could be learning, my homework is to learn, Mary had a little lamb. Could be doing that. So, good luck. Yeah. That's where the choir needs practice, right? We're not afraid to preach to the choir. I wish we had a Buddhist thing for it. Can I hear an amen? You know, like, <laughs> it's like, sadhu, it just doesn't, I don't know. Because right? like, there's that, that strength and you've got to celebrate and, and that, that's why that, you know, the Dalai Lama inspires me, like that chuckle that he has and what he has seen. Really? Tibet? And also, he was a rich kid, right? I mean, he's always been catered to, and he's a protected one, so he knows his privilege and was able to, you know, in the position that he was put in, try to be an ally. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And also with the Brahma Viharas, you know, I always used to say to my teenagers here and, you know, white, rich kids, happy people are not mean. 
There's no need to. Most bullies are not happy. And most people that are cruel, they don't wake up in the morning like, ah, I just want to be really cruel. It's like they've gotten to that point. It's like dental plaque. It's just little by little, all of a sudden, you're like this thing, this stinky tooth. That's a horrible image. Where did that come from? <laughs> One more comment <laughs> or question. Yes, Jason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very difficult to unpack it sometimes, and sometimes it's simple. Um, one of the interesting things that I've noticed in my life, like once I really honestly see the full humanity of someone, because many times people don't. Like I think of janitors or police officers, sometimes where their humanity is stripped because they become invisible for whatever reason, homeless. So one of my teachers right now is Doña Stella. She's the cleaner at my school. She's about this short. She's from Mexico. She's like 56. Fire energy, you know? And I just, you know, started talking to her and I befriended her. And now she, every time she sees me, she hugs me and gives me a big kiss. But I listen to her. And that's, that's the beginning. Active listening, respectful listening is something that's rare, actually. So, you know, my partner got a fancy job in India, and I'm like, oh, I'll go back to India. And we went there, and we got servants. You know, we got the driver, and we got the cleaning lady. And I'll be like, oh, do you have kids? Yeah, I have two kids. So once in a while, you know, I would buy a piece of candy. Hey, this is for, you know, Ramesh. And also, you know, what, and just ask them, like, seeing their humanity, right? I'm not asking anything. But all of a sudden, it's like, oh, your daughter is sick. You know, just talking to these people. The drivers in India, the middle class and the upper middle class, they never talk to the drivers. I'm like, hey, let's stop for some coconut juice. Want some? Give them some. There's these little things that I notice, and, and I'm telling you this story because at the end, when I was leaving, they gave me this little Ganesha, you know, with this little thing, and they were just so, like, we saw our humanity. See what I mean? And that's, I was so happy about that, that I was able to do that. Because I was in the place of privilege. But to fully recognize the humanity of somebody, sometimes we, you know, we think we don't do it. And so some of my best friends are in the high bits of privilege, right? But you know what happens when you're male and straight and white and middle class and you speak English and you came from a Christian background and you're able-bodied and... And you're a bit healthy. You're like, whoa, wait a second. I'm, yeah, I'm right here. And so again, you could end up going to one of these places. Guilt, whatever, you know. Like, no, you know, I'm in this position. And we need you. Desperately. To not be stupid. It is. (laughs) Yeah. But then it's, you know, it's to challenge yourself, to educate yourself, because again, you know, this thing of like having the people of color having to educate about racism, it's like, really? Yeah, it has to be the rape victim that has to talk about rape and the people with disabilities that have to talk about disabilities. And so once, I also say, once you recognize privilege, you're in this tricky situation of, okay, I'm going to keep it, benefit from it, and be done with it, or, ooh, 
I got to question this. I do have a privilege. What do I do with it? And I got to live my life. I have kids. I have a stressed out body. You know, do I have to, when do I exercise? When I do meditate? When I do, ah. The super busy American life. How do you fit all of that? And also many times, the, the people, you know, having worked at Blake and having worked with these people that are billionaires, right, our parents, when they're not happy, how can you give what you don't have? And so many times working with social justice adds to your happiness. Whoa, Donna. Good question. Excellent question. How do I become an ally? Because, yeah, you can become a missionary and work through the Lord and burn 600 years of books. That's what happened in my land. All the books written in deerskin were burnt. The, med the medicinal stuff, the histories, all of that burnt. Because I'm helping. So, yeah, that wisdom super tricky. Um, it's 8.58. But tomorrow, so but it's good, right? Curiosity is still in the room. Scratch the surface of the surface. Um, sometimes there's a Donna talk, and I'm a teacher, and people think that I don't make a lot of money. There's 6.5 billion people in the world. I know I'm rich. So whatever Donna you give, um, Amnesty International is in my heart right now. So whatever goes to common ground, we'll just say common ground. Whatever goes to me. Um, sometimes I don't have the money to give a lot of money to donations. So whatever you give me, I'm passing off to Amnesty International. So, Thank you. If there's anything that I have said that is offensive, inaccurate, I ask for your forgiveness. For anything that has been useful, I thank my teachers for their guidance. May we all be happy. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.